What's up, Paul Mark? Uh, this week's life hack is a uh, simple security hack you can do for your home for uh, just a few cents. Um, so if you check out your door, uh, most likely you've got like a, uh, a deadbolt and just the, uh, the, the, the normal little doorknob there. And uh, if, you, if you open up your door and check out your frame, you're going to have these, uh, these things right here called strike plates. And uh, each one of those, they're typically from the factory held in by about a one inch screw. Uh, so because of this, the only thing that's holding that in there is just a little sliver of wood right there. It doesn't actually get into the stud that's right beside the door. Um, throughout your house, you've got these little chunks of wood called studs. And uh, right beside there, you're going to have some wood um, by that door frame, but you're not getting into that because that screw is too short. Um, so if you uh, were to go Lowe's, Home Depot, Ace, um, you can pick up some screws that are about three, three and a half inch long. And if you just zip these out and screw those longer screws in there, you're actually going to get into the, uh, the stud um, that's beside the door and it will add a lot of strength um, to that door. Um, I was watching a video a while back of um, some police officers that were testing the different screws just so homeowners could know what to go with and uh, the three and a half inch screws were tremendously stronger. Um, so if you want to prevent all those bad people out there that need Jesus from kicking in your front door, and that's an easy way of doing it. So that's about it. See you next week, Hallmark. Yeah, give him a hand. Happy Father's Day. Hopefully you remember to text as Tyler reminded you to text your dad happy Father's Day. Thank you, Tyler, for the reminder because I hadn't done that yet, so I did that in church. Is that going to go? And uh, so my parents are in California this week, so I, I did it intentionally. I didn't want to wake him up, so I waited a little while. But uh, no, we're glad that you chose uh, to worship with us this Father's Day. I want to say... Uh, encourage you to get your bulletin out. Everybody get your bulletin out this morning. Uh, hopefully you'll take some notes uh, today. And we are in our life, hack, life hacks number three, all right? Life hacks number three. And uh, so appreciate last week, uh, Dave uh, gave our second outline, our second message on life hacks. We talked about work. And uh, so Dave uh, chose the topic of work I'm glad he did so that I didn't have to speak on work, but did a great job reminding us that Scripture teaches us everything we do, we're to do to the glory and the honor of God, and, and, and especially including our work. And so I appreciate Dave and a great job. And so we've been doing uh, this the third week now as we're walking through Proverbs. Wisdom and proverb, life hacks, things that we hope and will encourage you, will challenge you, will strengthen you. And I'm going to be honest, so when all the men were up here singing, how many of you really enjoyed watching those guys come up here and, and man, did great? They actually did. Yeah, give them a hand. That was awesome. And uh, I, they were actually, I heard some harmony there. Actually, the right harmony, as Dave mentioned, it was really, really good. And I almost jumped up here on stage or turned my mic on from down here as all the men were up there to give a warning, an apology of that. Men, if you're in the room this morning, here's what I know from what we're going to look at in Scripture. You are going to be challenged today. And I think that you're the type of men that want a good challenge. Is that true? 
I'm not convinced. Is that true? All right, so we're going to challenge your manhood today, right? We want to encourage you to be the men that God has called to be. If you were here on Mother's Day, so how many of you were here uh, Mother's Day, this last uh, Mother's Day? And so on Mother's Day, we talked about, we were ending our series on prayer. We were talking about uh, prayer, and we went to 1 Samuel, and we looked at the life of Hannah. So I want you to turn to 1 Samuel, and we're going to get there in a minute, 1 Samuel chapter 2. But in 1 Samuel, we looked at the prayer of Hannah, and if you remember, Hannah was a lady who was desiring to be a mother. She desired to have a child. She desired to have a son, and she made a commitment. She prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, if you will give me a son, then I will give him back to you, and he will serve you the rest of his life. He will, I will take him to the tabernacle. I will give him to you, and he will serve you there. And we looked at that, that she made the promise. God answered her prayer. She kept her promise. Now in Second um, Samuel chapter number 3, we hear a familiar story. And so let me just tell you the story a little bit. Samuel, as I said, grew up in the tabernacle. He served there uh, as really just an aid to Eli the priest. And Eli the priest was from a long line of priests starting going back to Aaron, the brother of Moses. He became the priest for the nation of Israel. And so every son after that was past that responsibility, the opportunity, the, the duty of being the priest. And so Eli was following in that line. Eli was the priest, and Samuel went to the tabernacle to live and to learn and to train and to serve under Eli. And so Samuel, one evening, was asleep in the church but not during service like some of you are going to try to do in a moment, when he was supposed to be asleep in church. Now the truth is, big buildings and churches at night, when they're empty, are scary places. You guys ever been in a, in a church building or a big building at night when it's dark and no one's around, it's quiet? How many of you have been there? How many of you, men, be honest enough, you were scared just a little bit. I mean, we weren't scared a lot because we're men, but we were scared a little bit. I remember when I was uh, at a church in Austin, and I was serving there, and I was um, the one that got the calls at 3 in the morning when the alarms went off, and I got to go up and, and uh, let the police officers in there. Most of the time, I got there before the, before the police got there, and I would walk through the building, and I would walk out and say, everything's good, let's go back to bed. Most of the time, the officers were okay with that. One guy just like thought he knew everything apparently, and he's like, no, we got to check it out. I'm like, this happens every night. It's okay. Nothing's wrong. I've already went in the building. So he goes and, you know, like super cop guy and, and uh, goes in. Remember the old baptistry rooms on the back of the auditorium? And he opens the door. On the back of the door, all the baptistry robes are hanging there. And it scares him so bad he draws his gun. <laughs> on the baptistry robes. I'm like, all right, I already told you there's nobody in here. Anyways, Samuel's asleep in the tabernacle. And he hears Samuel. And he wakes up. And of course, his assumption is Eli is the one talking to him. Did, did you guys notice I put some steps here? This is for all those people out here that were scared to death I was going to fall off, okay? I don't know how many people have come up. You stand so close to the edge, I'm afraid you're going to fall off, all right? So now if I fall, I won't fall too far, okay? That's for all you. See, I'm a kind 
thoughtful person. That wasn't a joke. Anyways, Samuel, he goes into Eli. What do you want, Eli? I didn't say anything. If Samuel's like me, he's on the way back. We don't know how old he is, 10, 12, 13, and probably depend on his age, what he's going to say, right? So if he's a 13 year old, like, that old man is losing it. He goes back to bed, tries to get back to sleep, and Samuel hears it again. Goes back into Eli, you call me again. Eli's like, I did not call you. Now the old guy's like, quit waking me up. I'm old, I want to sleep, right? The young man is walking back. This man is old and he's losing his brain, you know, and he goes back, goes back to sleep, tries to go back to sleep. And what does he hear again? I didn't hear you. You guys are good. Wakes back up. My guest is a little bit frustrated. What do you want, Eli? Keep calling me. Eli, probably a little frustrated. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Quit waking me up. And then Eli thinks for a moment. Maybe this is God talking. Maybe it's the Lord. And in 1 Samuel chapter 3, it says there in the beginning that the, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. So this was a rarity that God was going to speak. And, and the truth is, in past times, in the, in the previous recent history, if God was going to speak to someone, who was he going to speak to? It was going to be Eli. So Eli, in his older age, is realizing. So he says, Samuel, I think the Lord is speaking to you, so go back. If you, if you hear the voice again, if you hear the voice call out Samuel, then I want you to say, speak, for your servant is listening. Now Samuel goes back with a different attitude, doesn't he? And you think for a moment with Samuel laying there, and I'm wondering how easy or how difficult it was for him to go back to sleep. The Lord's going to, if I hear a voice, it's going to be the Lord and he's going to talk to me? Now the church is really scary, right? But, but let's think for a moment, because most of the time when I tell this story, I talk about this story, I'm talking about Samuel and his perspective and how Samuel would have been, what, what would Samuel have been thinking? How difficult would have been him to go back to sleep? But let's think for a moment about Eli. How difficult was it for Eli maybe to go back to sleep? Because as we mentioned, the, the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and if the Lord spoke, who was he going to speak to? It was going to be Eli. And now Eli has this understanding God's not going to be speaking to me anymore. God's going to be speaking to Samuel. And I wonder all the things that may have played over in his mind of why or how come or what's the reason or what have I done. But the truth is, we're told in Scripture why God started to speak to Samuel. So look in 1 Samuel 2, verse 27. 1 Samuel 2, verse number 27. Then a man of God, so this is prior to the story that I just told you about. God comes and speaks to Samuel, not to Eli. Why? This is the story before the story, right? Verse 27. Then a man of God came to Eli and he said to him, Thus says the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? So he's speaking of Aaron, like his great-great-grandfather, right? Did I not choose him, verse 28, out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer my altar, to burn incense, and to wear the ephod before me? 
Did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? And so God, through the man of God, is reminding Eli, do do you remember all the things that I did for you? Do you remember the heritage that I gave you, the heritage from Aaron passed to his son, to his son, to his son, to you? Now your responsibility, Eli, is to pass this heritage, this faith, this responsibility of being the spokesperson of the people to God, to be the spokesperson of God to the people Didn't I give you all that responsibility, Eli? Didn't I entrust that to you? Verse 29. Why do you kick up my sacrifice and my offering which I command to my dwelling place? And here's here's the next line of why God would begin to speak to Samuel. You're reading Scripture about Eli's two boys. Eli's two boys, either, depending on how you pronounce it, Hophni or Hophni, and Phinehas. They didn't serve the Lord. They didn't follow the Lord. It, it tells us in Scripture that they received the offering as they were supposed to, but then they stole the offering. It says they received the women into the temple, but then they took the women from the temple. The sin of these two boys, the failure of Eli to pass his faith to the next generation, as his father had done for him. But why? What's the underlying reason for the lack of the ability for him to pass the faith on to his boys? Look at the next phrase where we stopped in verse 29. You honor your sons more than me. To make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Verse 30, it continues. Therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house as the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me or from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who, I despi- who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. So what is God saying here to Eli? Eli, He's saying to Eli, listen, I've I've given you the responsibilities and it's been passed from your father to his son, to his son, to his son, to his son, to you, and it was your responsibility passed to your two boys, the responsibility, the privilege to know and to fear God and to understand who God is and to walk with God. And you have loved them more than you have loved me. And because you have loved them more than you love me, They don't follow me. And he says, I made a promise to Aaron. I made a promise to your great-great-great-grandfather that if you honored me, I would honor your family. And if you read this verse of Scripture here in verse 30, it almost seems like that you could take it as God is breaking his promise. But the the reality is this is a, you know, what we would understand as one of those if-then promises. And every one of us as parents understand what an if-then promise is, right? If you clean your room, you will get this. If you don't clean your room, you will get this. Right? And God has said, I am going to honor you. And God chose to honor the nation of Israel. And God chose to honor Aaron as the priest with the, the, the condition, I will honor you as long as you honor me. 
And so Eli says he honored his children, his boys, more than he honored God. In other words, he gave more priority to his children than he gave to God. He gave more um, weight to what the kids thought than what God thought. Eli loved his sons more than he loved God. He loved his kids' happiness more than he loved God's holiness. He cared more about his kids' desires than what God desires. He put more stock in his kids' future than the future God had for them. Can, can I really be blunt this morning? That in our culture today, in general, we as parents, we honor our kids more than we honor God. And how did that work out for Eli? So I want to just take a few minutes this morning to walk through this. This is on the top of your bulletin. There's this kind of, I put this disclaimer up at the front before we walk through these things, okay? This is a small little disclaimer. Godly parents do not automatically make godly children. I wish this were true. I wish that if, if I did everything that God has asked me to do as best as I could and we're all going to make some mistakes and there's no perfect parent but, but if I did everything I could to raise my kids to know and to fear God and, and, I, and I tried to live that example in my life, the reality is that just because I do the right thing doesn't necessarily mean my kids are going to do the right thing. It's unfortunate, but that's reality. And the reason I know it's a reality is because the truth is everyone in this room, you have to make a decision for yourself. Am I going to follow God or am I going to follow my own desires? You had to make a choice that you were going to give your life to Jesus Christ, that you were going to trust him for your salvation, for your eternity, to receive the grace that he has freely given to us. But every one of us, we have a free will. We have a choice. And your kids have that same choice. Remember what we said about Proverbs. We quoted Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is a principle. Proverbs is a book of principles, not a book of promises. I wish this was a promise. But you and I, we all know, and I've, I've been in church a long time, and I had the opportunity to be in youth ministry a long time, and I've seen a lot of what I would say good, godly parents whose kids did not make good choices. The truth is, I've seen some really not so what I would call godly parents and whose kids made some really good choices. But, but here's, here's what we need to think about for a minute. So this is a principle, I think, for all of us today, whether we're a parent or we're not a parent. I'm going to apply it to parents today, but I think it'll apply to all of us. So as a parent, as a dad, I don't do what God asked me to do in raising my kids so that they will turn out right. Let me rephrase that. I don't do the right thing just so that they will do the right thing. What, what does that mean? Let's unpack that for a minute. Why should I do the right thing? Because it's the right thing. That was a really deep thought, wasn't it? 
You, did, you guys didn't know I was that deep. So I do the right thing, not because I want my kids to do the right thing. I do want my kids to do the right thing. But if I'm only doing the right thing so that they'll do the right thing, guess what? That's, that's not the way to go. Why do I do the right thing? To honor God, to do the right thing. God has laid out some principles on how I should parent and how I should be and how I should act and the way I should live. And I need to do that because here's the reality. I'm never going to be the dad that God wants me to be until I am in correct relationship with God. I can have a lot of principles and I can have all the right quotes and the sayings and the schedule and I can do all those things, but the reality is... I'll never be the husband that I'm supposed to be. I'll never be the pastor that I'm supposed to be. I'll never be the dad I'm supposed to be unless I'm first the follower of Jesus that I'm supposed to be. So I don't do the right thing so that they may do the right thing. I do the right thing because it's the right thing. I leave the results to God. So let's look at this question or this thought. So the next thing it says on your outline is, Why just going to church is not enough? Why just going to church is not enough? So Eli there, he, not only did his boys go to church, they lived at church. They still chose the wrong thing. There's a very unfortunate verse in Scripture 2 in 1 Samuel chapter 8. We won't take time to look there. Samuel, who we're talking about, All throughout Scripture, we see that he did the right thing. He followed God. He was a servant of God. He was a prophet of God. He was the priest of God. All throughout Scripture, we don't really ever see that he messed up. But if you read in 1 Samuel chapter 8, he had two boys also. And it says his two boys did not follow the Lord. So there's no guarantee. The truth is, I think as parents sometimes, we take too much responsibility when our kids do the right thing, and we take too much blame when they do the wrong thing, right? My parents would tell you that I turned out so good because they're such great parents. Do you think that's what they would tell you? I'm not sure if they'd tell you I was so good, but the, the second part is definitely not what they would say. Here's what they would say. It's by the grace of God. God's grace in their life and God's grace in my life. So we want to do the right thing, not because it's fail-proof. We want to do the right thing because God called us to do the right thing. But why church isn't just going to church isn't good enough. So before we get in this, I, I wanted to give you a resource. Last, uh, I think it was on Easter, we gave you a resource that the church is providing for you. And this kind of goes along with this thought, why church isn't enough, all right? So uh, we're going to put on the screen here a link for you. And if you have a pen, I want you to write it down, okay? Or if you have your phone and you want to get in and log on to it real quick, go ahead and do that. But this is what we want everyone to do. If you haven't signed up yet for Right Now Media, we have a couple hundred people since Easter who have signed up and taken advantage of this resource. Uh, It's an amazing resource that has all kinds of Bible studies. Most of them are video Bible studies that you can watch. You can download the app. You can watch it on your phone, your iPad, anywhere, all right? 
on your Roku or on your uh, Fire Stick or whatever your smart TV you can find right now media. But if, if you haven't figured out how to log on to that, this is the easy way to do it, all right? So you're going to log into this. It's going to give you three things. We want your, it's going to ask you for your last name, your first name, and your email address. And I think it asks you for your email address the second time. Then hit submit, okay? And so when you do that, you're going to flood David here's phone with emails. So if you want to do that right now, it'd be kind of a good thing, all right? He's going to get an email. He's going to, then you're going to receive a link from Right Now Media, and it's going to be from Dave, and it's going to show you how to log in and register, all right? And so I want to challenge you, encourage you. I don't know how to plead with you enough to get this resource. There's all kinds of kids' videos, parenting videos, parents, uh, uh, videos for teens, Bible studies for adults, small groups, couples, marriages. You get the drift, right? Okay. Have you understood clearly that I want you to sign up for Right Now Media? Yes? Or no? Yes. All right. Good. So do it. Number one, and we'll get to our outline. Wow, we're running out of time. Let's go quick. There's a big difference between having a house and building a home. Kind of like there's a big difference between just being a dad and being a father. Okay? There's a big difference between a house and a home. Proverbs 24, verses 3 through 4. Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. And so when we think, as we've talked about Scripture, and we've talked about Proverbs, we're talking about wisdom. What did Proverbs 1, 7 teach us? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So when we talk about wanting to uh, have a home or house built on wisdom, we're talking about teaching our kids to fear God. We're teaching our kids to know God. We're teaching our kids to follow God. And a home is a home that is building through the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God. A house, a home built on the wisdom and the knowledge of God. I read this statement, actually I heard this statement this week from Chris Brown, all right? He's a pastor at North Coast Church. He said this, a house, kind of differentiate between the two, a house and a home. A house has a great man cave. A home has a great man who caves in. Let, let me explain that, because cave in, I don't like that word. I'll be honest with you, all right? And again, let, let me uh, preface, if you have a great man cave, that's awesome. Okay, that's not the point. The point is, as men... God comes first in my life, my wife comes second, my kids come third, and then it's everyone else. Most, most are, this is not just a man thing, this is a mankind thing. The person we're most concerned about most of the time is who? Me. A man of God is willing to sacrifice some things that he may want or wish to do in order to follow God, in order to serve his wife, in order to serve his kids. Ephesians 5 says what? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And, and, and kind of wish the verse stopped there. 
Because then it could be left up to your own, well, yeah, Christ loved the church this way. But what does the rest of the verse say? And gave himself up for the church. In other words, Jesus loved the church so much that he laid his life down on on the cruel cross. Sacrificed his life. That's how God wants you to love your wife's men. And the reality is, most of us, most of the time, probably don't. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Leads me to number two. Godly living is caught more than taught. Godly living is caught more than taught. Now, we we could spend, honestly, on each one of these points, we could probably spend uh, an entire week, if not a whole month, on each one of these points. So we're kind of giving this quick overview, all right? Godly living is caught more than taught. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and all throughout the book of Proverbs, you're going to read this phrase, my son, over 70 times. And he says in Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 4, my son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. Remember what God's word says. My son, don't forget the word of God. My son, keep the word of God. My son, over and over again. Again, the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Verse number 2, Proverbs 3, For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Again, the, the, the challenge, my son, keep God's word on your heart. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. And those words kind of bring back other words to my mind. So he says, bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. What is known to the Jewish culture, especially in this period of time, is called the Shema. What every Jewish family would teach their children from an early age. Every Jewish family, their goal was for their kids to know this and to understand this and to pass their faith. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We sing this this morning. Verse 5, You shall love the God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. These words which I command you to shall be in your heart. And here's, here's dads where we need to pay more attention. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk with them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So, man, we, again, we could spend an entire week or month on this one point. The goal here was to pass our faith to the next generation. And, and men, that responsibility was given to you. But, but here's something you have to understand. You cannot pass what you don't possess. If God is not first in your life, God is not the number one or priority in your life, do you ever think that it will be in your kid's life? We, we read about Eli, and what was Eli's problem? He loved his kids more than he loved God. In the reality in our culture today, that is the way we as dads are being trained. You want to check your priorities? You want to figure out where your priorities, if they're right? 
Check your schedule. Read your bank statement. I'm convinced that those are the two greatest barometers of your priorities. Your kid's schedule. I read a book, it's probably been at least 10 years ago now, called uh, Kid CEO. And, and the reality is that mentality hasn't gotten any better. And I've shared this statistic before, but in our culture currently, this is a, a few years old, they, it's kind of a new economic study they've been um, tracking. And a few years ago, they began to track this, uh, and it's called Youth Sports Tourism. Okay, so this is all the weekend tournaments that all of us have our kids involved in, right? And we spend all kinds of money doing it. In, our, in America, $7 billion was spent annually on sport, youth sports tourism. Kids CEO. And, and so men, the goal is to pass our faith to the next generation. But it's going to be caught more than it's taught. Listen to this quote, Charles Kettering says this, Every father should remember that one day his son will follow his example instead of his advice. Did you catch that? Your kids are going to follow your example, not your advice. Your kids are going to follow your example, not your advice. What, what priority, how important is God to you? In Hebrews it says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves. Sunday is set aside as the Lord's day. The day we celebrate the resurrection. And this may be a shock to some of you, but... Sunday was meant to celebrate the resurrection every Sunday, not just Easter Sunday. So if that's not a priority for me as a father, do I think it's going to be a priority for my kids? For some reason, we think so, yes. We've convinced ourselves, we've fooled ourselves. You know, the statement says... Uh, number one rule in life, don't fool yourself, but you're the easiest person to fool. And we've all fooled ourselves into thinking, well, I, you know, they know I love God. Do they? I told you I was going to step on your toes today, didn't I? You said you were up for a challenge. That's being tested, isn't it? Number three. Before we get to three, I'm sorry, number two, there's uh, blanks I need you to fill out because some of you are going to freak out if we don't get them filled out. <laughs> our, our culture tends to focus more on MVP or GPA rather than G-O-D. Our culture tends to focus more on MVP or GPA rather than G-O-D. What does your schedule say you value most? What does your finances say you value most? Great, let me preface maybe. Grades are important and all that's great. I love sports and I think sports teach a lot of great life lessons. But I think more important than my kid's GPA and my kid's ability to throw a baseball or catch a football 
is do they love and fear God? And if the best way for me to teach them that is that it's going to be caught, not taught, then my schedule, my priorities, my finances, the way I live my life is going to have a drastic impact on whether they decide they're going to follow and serve God. It's important. Number three, and we won't stay here long, but we could definitely stay here forever. Every child needs consistent consequences, not empty threats. Every child needs consistent consequences, not empty threats. For sake of time, I'm not going to read these verses of Scripture down here, but I would encourage you to do that. But I'll kind of give you the summary of what these verses say on these blanks. Lack of discipline leads to death. Lack of discipline leads to death. But there's really two main reasons God has given us rules. It's for our provision and it's for our protection. Okay? And it's the same we should be with our kids. Provision and protection. So lack of discipline leads to death. The second statement, a disciplined child brings delight. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Right? So we, like I said, we can stay here forever. I better keep going. Rules without relationship equal rebellion. Rules without relationship equal rebellion. So probably my generation growing up, if our parents failed us, they probably had a tendency to be this. Rules without relationship equal rebellion. Like really heavy on the rules and lacking on the relationship. So my generation seemingly, as we've raised our kids, you know, it's always this counterbalance, right? So one extreme here, and then we go to the other extreme here, and probably my generation has gone this way. Relationship without rules equals destruction. So I can't be just all heavy rules, 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 and not love my kids and not show them the love of God in their life. But I can't be just the friend. You know, we all know parents that, that want to be the best friend of their kid, right? And it doesn't end well. I'm not supposed to be my kid's friend. Someday that will happen. Relationship without rules equals destruction. The last just a little application or encouragement. Encourage far more than discourage. Encourage far more than discourage. And sociologists will kind of differ on that, whether there's got to be five positive comments for every negative comment or seven positive comments for every negative comment. But the tendency for most of us as parents, especially us as dads, is to be a, a lot more. Point out the negatives, not the positives. So point out the positives, not the negatives so much, right? Say some nice things to your kids. So we started out talking about Samuel. And I think about Eli. God's not talking to me anymore. But he's also not talking to my kids anymore. 
And I wonder how that made him feel. Third John says, there's no greater joy than seeing my children walk in truth. And I have to think that Eli, if he would look back on his life and he would see the evaluation. So if you think it's hard this morning to sit in this service and have your toes stepped on, and trust me, I've been having to deal with this for two weeks, okay? For two weeks I've had to struggle with my own life and, and my failures and my struggles and where I have not been a great father, a great leader, and I haven't done what I'm supposed to do. And so you guys are like not experiencing anything I haven't experienced. But think about from Eli's perspective for a moment. This is a direct quote from God, Eli. You loved your kids more than you loved me. Because of that, your sons will not be priests. Men, are you willing to step up and be challenged to lead your homes? Not the way the culture wants you to lead your home. Have you figured out that it's not working? Fifty percent of marriages end in divorce. Maybe, maybe God, maybe God knows. Maybe if we put God first in our life, and we focused on our relationship with God, men, you will never be the dad that you're supposed to be, the granddad you're supposed to be, the worker that you're supposed to be, as we were challenged last week, the father you're supposed to be, the brother you're supposed to be, whatever you want to say, you're never going to be that unless you are the follower of Jesus that God wants you to be. That has got to be the number one priority. And we fooled ourselves as parents to think that, you know, if, if I bring my kid once a week, twice a week, or twice a month to church, that they're going to get it. And this is what we've done. We have said, okay, well, I'll bring my kid on Sunday morning, Sunday school. And uh, Allison, she does a great job with our kids' ministry, and they always learn, and there's great teachers in there. And, and that's where they're going to learn to love God. And then when they get to be 12, 13, it's like, well, something's not working. We're going to make sure they come on Wednesday night because Critter over here, he does such an amazing job with our youth ministry. He does so great, and he does, and she does. But here's what I want you to understand, guys. It's not the responsibility of the church to disciple your kid. Men, it's your responsibility to disciple your kid. And here's what we've convinced ourselves. They'll get enough of God on Sunday, however frequently that is. You see the difference of when we saturate our kids with the Word of God and when we just drop them off at church once a week, once a month, when there's not a tournament, when the schedule fits. What has God called you to be, men? Leaders of your homes to train your children to know and to fear God.
and you, are, you cannot pass what you do not possess. I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes for a moment. Before we have anyone move, I don't want anyone moving yet. I want to challenge all the men in here today, whether you're a dad, you're going to be a dad, you're a grandfather, all the men, I want to challenge you this morning. Would you come forward and recommit your life? God, I want to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, and with all my mind. And if that's you, if that's what you want to do this morning, we're not going to have any music. It's going to be quiet. Right now, would you come forward? Right now, just stand up, walk forward. As a man, I'm going to, you're not claiming you're going to be perfect. You're going to mess up. We all do. But I'm going to do my best to be the man that God has called me to be. We're just going to spend a moment in silence. Just pray. When you get done praying, you can get up. I'll close this in prayer. We're going to have a time of worship in a moment. Ladies, those of you who are seated, you should be praying the same thing where you're at. I don't want to diminish you as ladies because I'm thankful for the mother I had who prayed earnestly for me. I'm thankful for the mother my kids have who earnestly prays for them.